When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6 beer. Intense by nature. And Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to Lacage. It's going to be sick. Good Friday evening, everybody. Tony Marinero is off, so enter me, Matt O'Hayan, the Hebrew Hammer. I hope you're all having a very, very lovely Friday evening. And if you're listening to us on uh, pre on uh, our pre-recorded version, hope you're having a good time or a good drive wherever you're going or whatever you're doing. Sick podcast brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Uh, Energy Transportation Group is a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America driven to be different we're also brought to you by 8.6 beer intense by nature the beer for those who follow their instinct and live their passions in order to make their mark all right so uh, it was a bit a bit of a kind of a whirlwind week for the canadians you know a, a lot of news coming out of them uh early in the early in the week uh most of it not so good with the carry price uh whole controversy world whirlwind that he caused uh, in the media we'll get to that a little later um then they played two games on the road wrapped up that road trip they'll be at home tomorrow against the la kings uh so to talk about this crazy week we bring in two guests for the first time on the friday edition of the sick podcast first you remember him from a couple weeks ago charles alexi brisebois from donny codice and bpm sports charles how you doing i'm doing great how are you i'm doing just fine and also from a couple weeks ago love this guest finally we got a hold of him scott matla habs eyes on the prize scott how we doing i'm doing great as always always happy to uh, pop in and uh, be a guest on a friday night here all right, perfect. So, guys, uh, let's. Uh, do you, well, you know what? I'll I'll, br- I'll bring it to the floor. Do you guys want to start with the on the ice or off the ice? How about on the ice? Yeah, let's uh, let's take Good care idea. of that, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Okay, so Monday night the Canadians play in Vancouver. Uh, get out to a very very hot start, four nothing in the first period, and then uh, all hell breaks loose for the lack of a better term. Uh, they end up losing that game seven to six in overtime. I mean, just you know how. Ha- Let's start here. How about this? You know, going into the season, we all had this expectation of the Canadians being at the bottom of the standings, but things change. You know, they, they've overperformed to everyone's expectations, obviously not their own because they believe in themselves. So do you think it's fair to criticize that loss or are we still because of those expectations changing on uh, on on the fan side and on the media side, or is it status quo? You know, so what? There we weren't really expecting them to do much uh, this year, anyways. So we'll start with you, Scott. My thought is it's a little bit of both. Uh, if this was a close game where they're trading goals back and forth the entire time, you just chalk it up to that's hockey. Sometimes it's stupid. There was a 9-6 NCAA hockey game tonight in Boston. Like, hockey is that way sometimes. It's that they jumped out to such an impressive lead and looked so, you know, in control. And then you kind of see that switch flick off, and then it flicked back on, and then they still lost in overtime. That's where the frustration comes in, and I take the good in that game. The offense looked the way that it should, and you saw things that um, you really want to see going forward. 
but then you see lapses defensively, missed assignments, things just not operating the way they should, even when you're protecting a lead for all things considered there. And I think that's kind of the issue that at the end of it that I see with this is that they had an opportunity to put this game away. They didn't, and Vancouver took advantage of that. It's a, it's frustrating, but it, it like they said in, uh, afterwards, Martin St. Louis could have come in and yelled and screamed at everybody, and he didn't. And I think this is a, another learning experience for a team that is still finding what their long-term identity is, especially in this season right now. Shaw, Shaw what about you? Do you, uh, do you have the same view, or uh, do you see it a little differently? Yeah, it's hard to evaluate a game like that because you know so many things happen. the The thing I want to remember, I want to remember about that game is, you know, in the modern NHL, you need two good centermen to win, and that game was the ultimate proof because since the beginning of the season, there's Nick Suzuki and then and then there's Sean Monahan. But in the middle of that game, he left because he, he is in a in a boot for for some quite some time now. His foot is clearly not okay, and at that time, the club break. And I'm not sure if there's a direct correlation, but for me, it's quite important because Sean Monahan is really important for that team. And I'm pretty sure it had an impact. Of course, the guys have to be uh, held accountable and say, okay, we have to to step up and to still win that game because at the end of the day, it's still uh, a 4-0 lead that was uh, scrapped by the the Montreal Canadiens. But I I think it it had a bigger impact that we we can think about. Yeah, and and you know what? I'll, I'll... I agree with Martin with what he said after the game, Martin St. Louis, in that it's a learning experience because, you know, it's a young team at its core. And, you know, to play with a lead and to put a game to bed is something you need experience in doing. Because, you know, if you just, you know, the Canadians are in every game. Uh, this this year they're they're playing and they're they're in it they don't quit but we've never really seen them run away with something that often I think it happened once before in the season and I can't even think of it off the top of my head so it's one of those things where you have to get used to it's it's a weird situation I mean the thing that the thing that bugged me about that game and it's kind of one of those things and and, and I want to get you guys' take on this is that the goaltender situation of the Canadians, the reality of it, I feel like it's starting to set in. And we saw that against Edmonton. We saw it in the weeks in the week prior, uh, in a couple weeks ago when, uh, you know, Jake Allen got it pretty good against, uh, against Columbus. He had a good rebound performance on this road trip. And then, you know, these, these things are happening because, you know, Samuel Montembeau, he's the, he's the darling right now because every game he's been in, he's been, he's been playing pretty well. And then he gets kind of shelled. Granted, he was a little bit hung out to dry because the Canadians kind of quit on that game after, uh, after a while. But I, I don't know. I feel like the, the, the reality of that goaltender situation and the uncertainty in that position is, is setting in. Shaw, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's not always easy to um, to evaluate that situation because Samuel Montembeau, we talked about it a lot. He had a great, great run. And then we kind of expected that he could play one of the first two games in Alberta. He didn't play. And then he was uh, put in Vancouver. I don't know where his confidence was, but clearly it was not an easy second part of the game for him. Uh, you mentioned the the errors. I mean, the the young defensemen they they clearly had uh, a lot on their uh, on their play during that game. And you, you when you look at the, the the four games, Jake Allen had pretty good games, and Samuel Montembeau had one bad game at the end. So I, I hope it's not going to affect his confidence because. We all know he is a good goaltender, a very, very good goaltender. But the the challenge for him this season was to uh, to build momentum and to make sure that his next performance is always going to be better than the previous one and not be too streaky. So if he can comes back, come back uh, in his next game and be as good as he was at the beginning of the season, we're going to say, okay, it was just a bad performance. The guy can have one bad performance, but he clearly have to to step up for that uh, that next uh, outing. Scott. I, I look at Samuel Montembeau, especially in the game against Vancouver, where he was the only reason that game wasn't 3 or 4 nothing Vancouver when the Canadians started scoring goals on every other shot they took. And that was him when he's at his best. He's reactive. He uses his frame very well. And when it went bad, he looked like the guy last year that was hung out to dry quite often and that mm. he's trying to guess where things are going because the defense in front of him 
isn't giving him a steady read on what's going on, or there's a missed assignment and a guy he can't cover. I still think it's Jake Allen's net going forward. I think that was always going to be the case. Allen's obviously played double the games. I wouldn't mind seeing Montembeau start a few more games here and there because the schedule is going to get harder. And I think they're giving Jake Allen those games because he gives them a little bit more stability in some of those is that he doesn't really scramble and crack all that often. Whereas Montembeau sometimes has those moments there. Samuel Montembeau is never going to stay as a nine thirty goalie this season. That mm. is a harsh reality that was going to happen, but he still played very well. And I don't think Jake Allen is an eight ninety five goaltender. I think that's going to come back up here. And I think they're right about where they need to be is they have a, a, a decent backup who is healthy this series, not playing through a wrist injury and in front of behind whatever lineup they're icing on a given night. And Jake Allen, who is also healthy this season, who has proven to be a solid tandem goalie in the NHL. And the thing is, they don't really have another option in terms of call-ups because right now Caden Primo is out injured with a uh, upper body injury after taking a stick on the bench a couple of weeks ago. They, they're going to ride this out for better or for worse. And like everyone else on this team, you're going to play through your rough patches and learn. And that's just kind of how the message of the team is going forward here. So, so moving on, I mean, I guess the good thing, it's the second time we've seen this where the Canadians, you know, they kind of, I don't want to say they got killed against Vancouver because they didn't. I mean, they lost seven to six, but you know, you look at the final score, but then situationally you look at it, they gave up a four goal lead and they end up losing that game. But then, you know, the next night they go to Seattle. Granted, they were outplayed like crazy, outshot like crazy. But hey, I mean, they came away with a win. We saw it against uh, earlier in the season against Detroit. You know, they they got massively outshot. Frankly, had no business winning that game, and then just find a way. And I and like uh, I forget who said it after the after that game against Detroit, but it's 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 better to come out on that side than have the opposite happen, which is, you know, you, you deserve the win and then you end up losing. So I, I guess that's one of the positives. And, and one of the things about this team that I, I just love, and it's their ability to just put things behind them right away. And, 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 and you know what, you, you could say that that game against Seattle was placed perfectly because it was just the night after they don't have time to think about Vancouver at all. So, I mean, it, it's the bounce back ability of this team just, just really, really sticks out to me uh, as a, as a major positive in terms of uh, the, you know, just the difference between this year and last year. Uh, I spoke about this last week with Stu Cowan of the Gazette, you know, I, I mean, I'll give you the updated version of the standings, but right now the Canadians are 13, uh, 11 and two. They're three points out of a playoff spot. Anyone want to take a guess at what they were last year at this point? How many, how many wins did they have at this point last year? Six. I'm going to say five. Bank- you're bang on the money, Scott. They, they had six <laughs> wins. You know, they were six, 19 and three. And, uh, you know, while I was looking up this game, this, this, this stat, it's funny. They, they lost on this night two nothing at home to the Chicago Blackhawks. So just, again, it's just the, the, the stark difference between this year and last year. And, you know, you could, they could be, the Canadians could be Owen, you know, quick math, Owen 26 right now but they're in every game and they're not quitting. And to me, that's what's important. What about you guys? I, I think it's that there's a resiliency in this team is that like last year, they got down by a goal early on. Like there was a waffle of a goal, which it's hockey. It happens. You can just see all the life come out of the team, especially mm-hmm. if they, you know, played well to start, but couldn't get a bounce this year. They're not out of any single game, even with they're being outplayed the ability they have to strike quickly back is important. You know, Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield make them a threat every time they step on the ice in that regard. And yeah, the power play isn't great, but they're never out of it. And if you give them that space to get back in the game, they will take it. They will score four goals on eight shots. If you give them the opportunity to do that. So maybe don't do that. It's whereas last year you, you could see a two on one happening. You're like, they're going to hit the guy. The stick's going to break on a pass. Everything that could go wrong will go wrong. The Murphy's Mm. Law of Hockey's teams. And this year, it's 
you have faith that things are working out because they're trusted to play to their instincts now. They're not afraid of being benched or things not going right. They're just playing what they know is hockey and trusting their abilities and their teammates. And I think that's good for building further going or further down the road here, especially with more and more young guys uh, coming out of junior, coming out of college, coming over from Europe or wherever. And I think that's important that they can feel comfortable to play the way they know how to and integrate themselves into this team. And what you said, Scott, is important because I remember an interview a few weeks or a few months ago, Dominique Cham said, if the plan was to develop the kids, I would have done it, but I was playing to win. I was coaching to win. I'm sorry. So uh, he was playing the best guys and, and the best guys were not the rookies because they didn't have that confidence saying, oh, I can make a, a mistake and I'm not going to be benched. So it's completely different this year. And you, you look at uh, the mentality of uh, Martin Saint-Louis uh, at the beginning, you talked about the, the fact that um, after the, the, the loss in Vancouver, he could have yelled, he could have done so many things because it was a 4-0 lead that they lost and ultimately decided to be uh, positive about it and to to take it the kid are, the kids are going to learn they're going to grow and the next night they are winning if, even if they are outscored outshot uh, two times by Seattle so clearly there there's a, a state of mentality in that team that we can win every game even if we're not going to win every game we can be in every game and we can give a show and we can progress in that system or in that concept in Martin Saint Louis so clearly it's uh, it, it's not the same team we see it on the standings and we see it clearly on the ice and, and you know what speaking of building confidence what what better to build a confidence than you know this is it's the same thing every year it's the dreaded western swing western canadian uh, road trip you know it's just never good for them and what happens this year you know five points out of eight that it, it's just it's crazy what's happening with this team because you know i, I feel I, i don't know if everyone is in the same boat as me But when, when I watch this team, you know, over the long haul, I'm kind of just waiting for the, the game, you know, where they're just going to get popped in the mouth and then the run of bad luck and losses and injuries, it all just happens because that's just uh, like Scott, like you've said it a couple times already, that's just how hockey works. It's a weird thing. So I, I've been waiting for that. And, you know, I, I kind of, I don't want to fool myself into thinking it's not coming. But I mean, you know, Shal, you wrote an article a couple weeks ago about the upcoming schedule for the Canadians. Uh, uh, that was, I think it was 14 of their next 20 games were on yeah. the road. Well, now we're in the middle of this and, you know, they're doing all right for a very young team yeah. going on the road. So, uh, you know, from these four games, I, I want to ask you guys, and we'll start with you, Shal, which, which game spoke to you the most about who this team is? Um, I'm going to say the Seattle one because it was 33-16 on the shots. And even then they found a way to win. And they found a way to win. Why? Because uh, Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield were there. They, they, they took the opportunities. They scored early. But, I mean, the Canadians are, are not a good team. And they are going to get uh, dominated by the better teams. And Seattle is a really great team. I was not ready to say that at the beginning of the season, <laughs> but Seattle is really a good team this year in the NHL. So to, to see that, yes, they are able to win, but they're able to compete against such a team. For me, it spoke a lot about... Um, about the, the Montreal Canadiens, they were at the end of a trip. And after that big loss in Vancouver, we could have expected, oh, you know, they're, they're tired. They just want to go home. They have a few days off uh, waiting for them before the game uh, against Los Angeles uh, again, tomorrow, actually. But they decided to compete. They decided that they wanted to win that game, even if it was uh, without some key players. We talked about Sean Monahan. We can add the name of David Savard, who missed a few games. So for me, the, the Seattle game was quite representative of the, um, of the season. For me, it's the Edmonton game. The good and the bad in this game here is because they played well at even strength. They were outplaying the Oilers at even strength in this game. And then veterans and younger guys, Nick Suzuki throwing the puck down the ice, as funny as it is to look back on that, is you know just small little errors. Joel Edmondson's not really a small error. It's a five-minute penalty. And that allowed the Oilers to stay in that game in a game where Nick Suzuki had Connor McDavid in his pocket at five on five. Impressively mm -hmm. so. But if you can't keep yourself at, uh, you know, at the strengths where your game is, 
you're not going to beat Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And those are the two guys who beat them in that. They gave them, they gave superstars a chance to beat them and they took it. That's a learning lesson is you don't hand superstar all world players bigger opportunities to beat you when you were handling them at another strength there. And they came back in that one. They could have easily quit and it could have looked like the Buffalo game from a couple of weeks ago where they got blown out 7-2. Said they came back and then there had just ended the period a little bit of lapse in coverage. Darnell Nurse scores the game-winning goal there. It's a big learning experience, not quite as harsh as the Seattle one or um, the Vancouver one, but one that's still important because if you can hang with McDavid and Dreisaitl at five-on-five with your youngest captain in team history and Caulfield and Doc, you're setting yourself up for success. Just fine tune and work on, you know, just playing smarter out there. Don't give them the opportunity to burn you. Like you did. You handed them how many five on threes. They're going to take that every single time. And there's not much you can really do about that. Yeah. I, I, I'm right with both of you guys, you know, cause there's no, there's no real right answer to the question, of course. Um, so I, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with the Seattle game just because we, we've, we've seen this kind of game before where, you know, it's, they had no business winning, they end up winning, but you know, they're not blind to the fact that they won the game without having the business of winning it. You know, they're just, they know heated hard, had the dire, they had probably, uh, you know, tired legs. It's a long road trip. And like you said, Sean, they could have just packed it in and, you know, just said, oh, whatever, we'll get it. We'll, we'll, we'll come back stronger on Saturday. But they, they decided not to and to get up for it. And I, and it just speaks to the kind of team that this is. Because, again, it's back to, back to my, my original point is that they're not blind to the fact that they're a young team. They're not blind to the fact that they're inexperienced and that they have won some games where they probably shouldn't have, which frankly, it's nice to see that because that didn't happen once last year. Um, not that they had games that they deserved to win last year and ended up winning, but you know, the point remains anyways, uh, let, 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 you know what? I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm going to do one read. We're going to get the carry price thing out of the way very quickly. Cause I don't want to spend more time than it needs to have on it. So uh, the sick podcast is brought to you by Lacage. If the last time you went to Lacage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you go back to Lacage. The menu will surprise you. And it surprised me last week when Aniello and Sammy treated me to some lunch and we had some fantastic wings. They really upped their wing game and I had a bang, bang shrimp bowl. It was fantastic. I mean, these guys, uh, they take care of me. They take care of me. Um, so, uh, let, let's just talk about it for a second. The, the part that I'm just interested in. Okay. We all know what happened with Carrie Price posts on social media, gun, gun control, blah, blah, blah. The part that just, you know, rubbed me the wrong way was, you know, the, the Canadian saying he didn't know about it. Um, and then him coming out saying he did know about it. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it reads weird to me when the Canadians originally came out with that statement. It's like, okay, the guy's been in Montreal for what? 17 years now. Um, they, they have not, they, they, I'm pretty sure at least definitely within the last five years, they've definitely done a pregame ceremony to commemorate this tragedy of the polytechnique shooting. And he's been on the ice for them. So, I mean, just kind of a weird hiccup by the Canadians. And it's kind of the first hiccup we've seen from the management team. Don't you think? My biggest thought with this, and I'll keep it brief because I made, I talked about this on Twitter is that I understand that Carey Price grew up in a much different culture than myself or anyone else, you know, growing up as a member of the First Nations, where he's from, where hunting was likely a regular part of his upbringing. And I understand his wantingness to hunt regularly, especially now, not as a hockey player. A little bit of research and understanding, you know, just a quick look in on this in that understand what you are about to use your profile for. Mm -hmm. And even if not in just check in with other people before you do this in that, yes, you are an independent adult. You are responsible for your own actions. And yes, this was all just the Canadians and Carey price, just stepping on a rake over and over and over again, instead of just saying it was insensitive. And I apologize the timing on this, you know, I never, you know, meant this or that it's, you have to understand the impact that you're going to have, especially as a very prominent public figure in Montreal as Carey Price. You are 
a franchise cornerstone and have been part of this, like you said, this team for 17 years. Just talk with somebody else before you do something like this. And if someone else said, go ahead and do this, maybe that's not someone you ask for advice in the future here. It was all very poorly thought out. The response was not the way that it needed to be. Carey Price has every right to hunt and do whatever. I'm not going to tell him not Mm -hmm. to do that because that's not my place. But just do a little bit of research and check in on what you are lending your very prominent public profile to before you post and do these things. Because it has an impact whether you meant it or not at the end of the day. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, you know, Carey Price, I, I, I'm with you, uh, Scott. He, he has the right to 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 want to continue to hunt because his roots are different and because he, he wants to hunt. That's fine. Um, that being said, you are an important person on uh, uh, in the world and on Instagram. You decide to uh, to to use the coalition uh, to um, to use your point to prove your point you you need to do your research it's a coalition that's quite radical and maybe you didn't know about the 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 Mouclic polytechnic probably but i mean it's not the first time that the coalition is quite radical so you need to know about that before you post and that's when the canadian said oh he, he didn't know about la polytechnic and then he said oh yeah i knew about it so it was quite the confusion because they didn't know how to to react so obviously the, the canadians didn't need that because carry price is um is a complicated situation on and off the ice because of his injury because of his salary and usually is a pretty private person because he doesn't post quite often mm-hmm. so it was clearly um it was clearly a, a bump on the road for him but it was quite a big bump because of the importance here in Quebec of la polytechnique yeah uh, uh well said both of you uh i mean just it, it was just the whole situation was kind of weird you know it, it's just i felt like the way the canadians painted him and saying that he didn't know about it it was kind of kind of naive of them to think to think that anyways we're not going to spend any more time on it we just had to get out of the way it had to be talked about we did it good job guys we did it um so let's move on uh uh, this is this is something interesting because you brought it up shal in our discussion earlier uh in that you need two good centers to win in this league and there happens to be tomorrow night uh an old centerman of the canadians that's rolling into town with the la kings now i was just thinking you know i'm looking up and down the lineup Sean Monaghan in or out, doesn't matter. Isn't Phil Deneau exactly what the Canadians need right now? You know, it's crazy. You know, it's just because we see Nick Suzuki plays the 200-foot game so well, just incredibly well, able to, you know, none of his offense is compromised by his defensive responsibilities, which is amazing considering his age. And, you know, you could have had Phil Deneau in that perfect role, and it's just not. I, I just I find it so interesting. So just what what do you what do you guys think? Do you think that that it's funny that like Phil Deneau is the perfect mold of what the Canadians could use right now in their lineup, Shaw? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Philippe Dano without him, uh, the the run in twenty twenty one doesn't exist because, of course, we're going to think about Carey Price and uh, Dano was clearly, clearly important. Even if he scored, I, if I remember correctly, one goal against Tampa Bay, and that's it. He was so important by shutting down all the good centermen uh, in um, in Toronto, in Winnipeg, in Vegas. Um, without them, there, there's not that 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 run. And when he left, he left with an enormous void because, of course, we're going to talk about Carey Price being injured. We're going to talk about Shea Weber being injured. We're going to talk a lot about Corey Perry decided to leave uh, for the Lightning. But Dano was clearly important. And, you know, he's a Quebecois Victoriaville. The people could relate to him because it was not easy for him at the beginning of his career. And he Mm -hmm. he tried hard and he improved a lot. When the Canadians acquired him a few years ago, I thought he could be a good centerman, but I never thought he could be, he could have been that good. And I never thought he could have scored 27, t- uh, 27 goals like it was the, the, the case last year for, uh, for Los Angeles. So clearly when, when uh, the fans are going to see him tomorrow night uh, at the Bell Center, they're going to think of what if Marc Bergevin could have kept him last year with the, the, the Montreal Canadiens. And yeah, we think of Sean Monahan as a, as a good second centerman. But if Dano was still there, we 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 wouldn't have to to have that debate 
I think the biggest thing for me is that it was it was such a small amount between Philip Deneau staying and going mm-hmm. in free agency. And if I think it was what five hundred grand total, which yeah, yeah. A, a little bit of money like that wouldn't for be life changing. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. But I look at that and I go, I like Christian Dvorak for what he was, and he was brought in to kind of be that replacement and also to fill in for Jesperi Kotkaniemi going to Carolina, and it just didn't fit the mold because then he got injured and everything else just went to hell last year, but. Philip Deneau was a stabilizing presence on this team. And I'm now it, it does kind of make me drool a little bit to think you have Nick Suzuki and then you could maybe use Kirby doc continually as that winger on the top line and maybe not have to bump him down. Now that Sean Monahan is likely is out for the time being here. And then you look at it that way and then you go, okay, if, assuming Christian Dvorak's not here, you have Nick Suzuki on that top line. You have Philip Deneau. And then you can have Sean Monahan as that third line center where he's been playing really well with anybody and you have a Slavkovsky or a Gallagher or an Anderson or whomever on that line, then your fourth line. And it's a very good top three centerman there. It would change the entire complexity of this team. And if they still had Philip to I don't think there would have been nearly as much debate going into the draft about whether they need to pick mm-hmm. the center of the future, or if it's going to be Slavkovsky or if it's going to be this or that, it makes a lot of things so much easier. I, at the end of the day, I think last year still probably would have had a huge downturn and a lot of people would have blamed to know if he wasn't, you know, the Selkie candidate that we know he can be. But I do think his presence is missed here a little bit, even if it's just to take some of that pressure off uh, Nick Suzuki for the time being right now, which if the pressure's off of him to play and he can go play more offense, who knows what we're seeing out of him besides an already impressive season this far. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's truly you know, when you put it in, into perspective like that, that, you know, it was 500 grand a season was the reportedly was the difference between him staying or going. Um, and then, you know, Stu Cowan, we got into it a little bit last week. He said uh, that was the thing with Mark Bergevin. He made things personal. And then Mark Bergevin gets fired. And then he ends up in L.A. with Philip Deneau. Just very uh, <laughs> a little ironic there. But yeah. So uh, last one before I let you guys go. Um, you know, we, we talked about acquiring and, you know, where the Canadians are in the standings and maybe selling and expectations and all that. So they are where they are 13, 11, and two, three points out of a playoff spot. We're 26 games into the season, generally by American Thanksgiving, which passed what, two, three weeks ago, you are what you are. And the Canadians are in the mix. There's no two ways about it. They're right there. Is I guess, I mean, it's a recurring question, but it has to be asked. Is time ticking on them making a buying or selling position? Or is there no question that they're they're just going to be sellers and that's just how it is? Scott? They're going to be sellers. I think they're going to ride the fun wave while it's still happening and bolster values and everything. Sean Monaghan's, if he continues to play like he has for the Canadians so far, he's got 17 points and 20-something games here teams are going to pay for that at the deadline. And that doesn't count the rumors of Edmonton having interest in Joel Edmondson or apparently half the NHL wanting Josh Anderson. Once other bodies come off, like I assume Sean Monahan will probably be one of the first people traded by the Canadians. And that might be before the trade deadline week happens, kind of like the Ben Sherratt deal. Once names start coming off those big boards that we see around the NHL, then teams are going to look at it and go, well, he's signed longer the Canadians are going to sell pieces here. Kent Hughes has been very methodical with the way that he handles things. He's made it very clear. He wants a third first round pick this year. I want a third first round pick this year. It makes it great for covering the draft and everything else. He's going to get that. He's stuck to his guns and gotten what he's wanted in trades. And I do think he's going to do that again. It's going to be a fun ride. There's going to be peaks. There's going to be ups. They might go on a heater after this and end up in a playoff spot. But I think everything's going to regulate itself out a little bit. And unless like all their metrics with their analytics department looks at this and goes, no, this is actually for real. I don't anticipate them buying. They might add some AHL help and, you know, some younger guys that, you know, maybe they're getting assets back to take on a contract from another team like they did with Sean Monaghan. I don't see anything drastic changing. They're going to be sellers by the time the end of January kicks around whether they're in a playoff spot or not, I still think their plan is going to be 
ship out some of these assets, get more draft capital, and continue that plan building forward here uh, for the next couple seasons. What about you, Charles? Charles, I think you're uh, you're on mute. <laughs> nope. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we got you back. We All got right. you back. <laughs> Perfect. Sorry for that. Um, you know they they are they are gonna gonna sell because it's the plan, and the Habs are not gonna win the Stanley Cup this year. So why would you want to acquire? Um, something that's not for the future. And it's been abundantly clear that Kent Hughes and Jeff Gorton wants, they, they want to build for the future, right? So if it, if they think that keeping Sean Monan with an extension is good for the future, they're going to do it. But if they think that adding uh, another first round pick, like, like you just said, is the thing to do, they're going to do it. Um, I see them selling guys like Joel and Munson. I see um, Josh Anderson probably leaving if the price is good. But I, I don't know how you can make the argument of the Montreal Canadiens not selling like they did last year because, yeah, the kids are good. And yes, they probably accepted the fact that, yeah, chances of drafting Connor Bedard are, are maybe not as good as they were a few months ago. But still, they want to have a good draft pick. And I think this is the last year where they're going to they're, they're gonna continue to go down. And then they're going to hit the rock bottom and they're going to start to go up. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs next year, but I think it's the last season where they, they need to stick to the plan of trying to go as down as they can. And after that, they're going to evaluate and they're going to start to add some talent to see where they can go because that's how you build a, a good team in the NHL. You, you have to have good picks and the 2023 NHL draft, the first round is going to be incredible. So, of course, they need another first round pick. And if it goes by Sean Monan or if it goes by Joel Edmondson or if it goes by any guy, you need to acquire another one. Yeah, it's it, to me the I'm with you. I'm with you guys. It's just the the tough position that the Canadians are in is that when you when you're usually the seller or you know you're sticking to a plan of a rebuild, they're kind of in a rare situation because you're usually your franchise is in a pretty bad spot and you kind of have that losing mentality. Right now, they they just don't have the losing mentality. And the one thing that I fear is that, you know, you start shipping out bodies left, right, and center, you know, that could start to set in. So uh, I, I agree with both of you on the, on the point that, you know, I think it, it's they're going to sell. And I agree with you, Child, that you got this is the last year of their downturn where they, they kind of need to hit as low as they can go. But at the same time, it's a weird position where – they have to maintain that attitude of we're still going to be in every game, which is where I could see like what you said, Scott um, is that, you know, they could bring another veteran guy in to, and you know, that for future assets, you know, expiring contract, maybe has two years left to retain some salary because that I always, I always thought of this is that when the team is playing well, even if you're not going to probably make the playoffs, you got to throw them a bone. You know, you got to say, hey, we're, we're not giving up on the season. We're not going to just tank it and we're not expecting you guys to go out there and lose. So we're going to acquire that 30, 30 something year old centerman or whatever it may be, winger, just to, you know, bring in a fresh voice, veteran presence. He'll lift you guys up, give a boost to the team. And uh, I don't know. That's just where I that's where I see it. It's a very, very tricky situation. But hey, like you guys have said, uh, you know, Kent Hughes has really knocked everything out of the park so far so i don't uh i don't see him faltering this deadline all right so guys just before i let you go shaw we'll start with you where can we find your stuff uh and uh thank you for joining yeah thank you very much you can find me on uh, twitter at shal alexi and you can read about it in french on uh, danslicoulisses.com and you can hear on bpm sport i have um I have my baseball show on the weekend, and I also speak on uh, with a few um, with a few guys during the week. So a few ways to reach me. And Scott, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott Matla. Uh, you will get all the highlights and clips, usually from Habs and Rocket games. Uh, if you want to read anything that I'm writing at Habs Eyes on the Prize, and I have my own show with my co-host, the active stick Laura Saba at Locked On Canadians at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter. Monday through Friday, you get a 30-minute bite-sized ep episode from us uh, every single day of the week. There you go. All right, guys, thank you very much, and uh, enjoy the weekend. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. 
All right, that was our Habs chat. Uh, the Sick Podcast is brought to you by Playground, which has over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and Playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes away from downtown Montreal. All right, it's time to make some money. It's time for Sick Picks. Brought to you by Betway. Sick Picks is brought to you by Betway. You must be 19 years old to play. Please play responsibly. All right, so we don't have a gambling expert, but you have me. You have the Hebrew hammer, and I got some things I want to talk to you about. All right, first of all, I'm sorry I didn't have the confidence to tell you to take Cincinnati Moneyline last week. It just wasn't an advisable play, but hey, what did we learn last week? Joe Burrow is that guy, and he inserted himself into the MVP conversation. I smacked $100 on that, won myself a nice clean $250 uh, when all was said and done on that game, so that was really nice. Joe Burrow's 3-0 against Patrick Mahomes, which is really nice. Um, so now this week, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, have a bit of a revenge game of their own. Um, they have the Cleveland Browns coming into town. The last time these two teams played, Cleveland absolutely shelled them. I was ready to pack it, pack in the season. It was the first game without Jamar Chase uh, when he went down for a month or five weeks, if you want to include the bye week. Uh, so this game, the, the Bengals are favored by five and a half. I'm not going to say it's, it's kind of right in the pocket of where it should be. So it's kind of hard for me to say, of course, a lean Cincinnati minus five and a half because I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan and I want them to destroy the Cleveland Browns. But what I will tell you to do in that game is take the under and it's set at 47. So take the under in that game because generally, like I always say, the second matchup in divisional games is generally always played way tighter. And even if this isn't, you know, this is the type of game where the Bengals can come out, you know, just absolutely bonkers and their defense has been playing lights out and they could just completely shut down Cleveland, especially with the way Deshaun Watson looked last week against Houston. He said after the game that, you know, Houston's protections were confusing him. Well, they were playing pretty basic coverages, so they really weren't doing much. Um, so either Cincinnati will blow them out and, you know, Cleveland's not going to be able to do anything on offense and, you know, you'll get the under that way or, hey, this might be a tight game and that means Nick Chubb's going to be involved and you know the more Nick Chubb runs for the for the Browns the slower the pace of the game is so uh, I love the under in this game just a just average point total uh, in divisional games over the season is is 44 right now so you're getting this at 47 you're getting three points on the house take that take the under in that game the next game I want to talk to you about is the Detroit Lions playing host to the Minnesota Vikings. Now, this game will probably confuse a lot of you if you're looking to bet on it because why is Detroit at, I think they're five and seven on the season, you know, two-point favorites over the 10 and two Minnesota Vikings? Well, here's the deal. Minnesota, by every advanced metric, I'm going to go by DVOA. I don't want to, basically, DVOA is schedule-adjusted um, uh, statistics. So basically it takes into account, you know, you have your basic statistics of let's say Detroit ran for, you know, 150 yards a game. I'm just pulling that number out of nowhere. Um, so that's good, but you know, maybe they got 250 of the 250 yards against Houston, who has historically one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. So it, it'll adjust for those things. So by DVOA, the Vikings are a bottom 10 team in every single category, offense, defense, special teams. That is bad, which means, you know, they keep pulling out the win. So good for them. They're 10 and two. They're going to make the playoffs. They're running away with the division. Good for them. But the fact is, is that there is always at one point or another regression 
to the mean. This happened a couple years ago with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And when they started the season, I think they were 11 and 0. Then they went to 11 and 1 or 2. And then they played Cincinnati on Monday Night Football. Cincinnati was a shell of themselves. And then the Bengals ended up winning that game. They weren't favored to win, but they ended up winning that game because Pittsburgh just came back down to earth. It happens every year. Every team will be where they are supposed to be. And that's what's going to happen to the Vikings. By the way, Detroit's at home. They average just under 33 points a game at home versus 18 on the road. That's a massive swing. You know, get it right now because it's the Lions are two point favorites. Depending on where, depending on where you're betting, uh, Betway has them at two. It might be moving. I saw it at two, two and a half. It moved around all week. I got it. I got them at two and a half. If that line moves to three, then I'm leaning. Detroit, I'm leaning Minnesota. But because it's at two, take Detroit. Take Detroit. All right. Next game, uh, we're going to talk about Kansas City going over to Denver. Uh, Kansas City are nine-point favorites right now. The over-under is set at 44. Now, before you think that this is such an easy smash Mahomes spot, it's not, and this is why. Patrick Mahomes as a double-digit favorite, or close to it, is not very good at covering the spread. He'll win the games, but he will not cover the spread. So here's a stat for you, because this game, I think it's going to make its way by the time the betting line closes. I think it's going to go up to 10. And if it does go up to 10, consider this. I personally don't have the, I don't have the balls to do this, but I'm going to tell you this stat if you do have it to do, to take it because it's a smart thing to do, which is Patrick Mahomes as a divisional favorite by double digits or, or if it's point spreads higher than six, whatever it may be, he's one in six against the spread. So it might be a good time to buy Denver with points. The other side of that coin is that we know we've seen Kansas City go on the road to San Francisco, who has one of the best defenses in the league, and put up 44 on them. They did the same thing to, to the Bucks this year. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the under 44 points. I, I know it's scary to take an under with uh, Patrick Mahomes playing in a game, but um, – the over-under is set at 44. I'm going to go under, and the reason why is because betting the unders on Denver Bronco games is money. You want to know how money? This is how money it is. This season, they are, the unders in their game are 11-1. and one. And that's not something that is, you know, they're scraping by here. You know, they're meeting that under pretty pretty decisively you know last week against Baltimore I think their over under was set at 39 and 19 points were scored in that game that was the easiest under I've ever bet in my life so anyways just just keep taking unders on Broncos games it's very very profitable especially a Broncos game that is in the 40s I know it's against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs but Trust me, just take the under in that game. Uh, I'm going to give you one more because this is what I did. And, um, you know, because we'll take a look at the Philadelphia Eagles and New York Giants. Um, I know I told you guys to bet on the Tennessee Titans last week, and that blew up in my face. It was an A.J. Brown revenge game. All the Titans went down with injuries. And, uh, you know, the Eagles ran away with that game. But here's the thing. I'm going to go Giants plus seven. And I'm going to tell you why. I bought it up to eight and a half because I don't think the Giants will lose this game by more than one score. Uh, that worked for me last week against the Commanders. That ended up as a tie, so I was laughing anyways. But this is why. Uh, the reason why is because the Philadelphia Eagles do not play well on the road. They'll win games. They're they're fanta- They're a fantastic team. They're going to win the games. But generally, they have a tougher time running away with leads uh, on the road, you know, we saw them just scrape by the Colts, you know, Houston, they lost by 12, but they were, they, Houston ended up losing by 12 against them on Monday night football, but they were, I think the, the, the Eagles were favored by 14 or 15 in that game. So just, they have a little bit of a tougher time covering these big spreads on the road and, uh, the Daniel Jones and the giants, they're fighting for a playoff spot. Um, so seven point favorites, I bought it up to eight and a half. I'm not against the seven. I'm just, uh, it's been a rough week betting for me. So, uh, that's that's why I bought that point and a half. Uh, one more for you, just to make it an even five. Uh, we're going to go. Uh, it's it's ugly. I'm warning you right now. It's ugly. You're not going to be able to stomach this, but 
I, I just do it. Just tr- trust me on this one. I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident about it. And it's the Carolina Panthers plus three and a half on against the Seattle Seahawks. The reason why I'm going with the Panthers is, you know, last week I told you the Rams would cover a seven point spread against Seattle. And they did. They ended up blowing a lead and losing the game, but Hey, they covered the spread. So what do we care? Um, the reason why I'm going with that is because the, the, the book is out on Geno Smith. The way you beat the you beat the Seahawks and you stifle that offense is just as simple as it sounds. You get pressure on him. And who better to get pressure on him than defensive end Brian Burns, who is just lights out out of this world. If he was playing on, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, we'd be talking about him for defensive player of the year. But because he plays on a bad team, He's not getting any of the spotlight, but Brian Burns is one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. I think he's going to make Geno Smith's a life, a living hell. And, you know, JC Horn is a cornerback. He's very good. So he'll get one of DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. And just, you know, I listen, is Seattle going to win this game? Probably. But I really think the Panthers will keep it tight because they're able to get pressure. Those are my sick picks. Now it's time to go for gold. Go for gold. A daily World Cup report. Alfonso Davies keeps it himself. Presented by Bijou Tree Bossy. Okay, man oh man. Well, we're going to get to this in a second. So Go for Gold is brought to you by Bijoutry Bassi. Bijoutry Bassi has provided professional service and fine jewelry for over 30 years. Visit the store at 9640 Boulevard Saint-Michel in Montreal. Give them a call at 514-387-9528. All right. I mean, just an insane game day in the World Cup. And it's so nice to have the World Cup back. Finally. Uh, So today, what happened? I'm going to tell you exactly what happened today. So first game, it was Croatia against Brazil. Uh, Not many people giving Croatia much of a chance, myself included. Um, You know, kind of just buying a little too much into that, you know, pretty dominant effort by Brazil against South Korea. And uh, not really buying much into Croatia's win over Japan because Japan pushed them to penalties. Um, But hey. Uh, so what happens in this game? Uh, 0-0 heading into extra time. Uh, extra time happens at the at the first minute of injury time um, of the first half of, of uh, the extra time. It was Brazil. I mean, just Neymar, magical goal from Brazil. A team goal just finished off by Neymar. Just an unbelievable goal. And then kind of everyone thinks the floodgates are going to open. But halftime whistle uh, blows, and then Croatia comes out and just unbelievable, just sending men forward. Beautiful pass into the box from Orsic, and it's finished off 1-1. We're heading into penalty kicks, and, you know, we saw last, uh, you know, whenever they played Japan, I think it was last week, you know, Levakovic, the goaltender for Croatia, just unbelievable. Believable three penalty saves in that shootout, and then this one no different, cool as ice. Kind of a questionable decision, you know. Uh, it was, uh, I believe it was, I don't know who took the first penalty for, um, for Croatia, but you know, he smashes it down the middle, goes in, and then you know, I'm expecting Neymar to, to you know, step up to the spot. You know, he's the captain of the team. You know, you want to send a message to the rest of your team. Hey, we mean business. Let's get this thing done. And instead, they send a young player of Real Madrid in Rodrigo. And he, you know, is pretty, pretty bad penalties, frankly. And Lavakovic, uh, credit to him. He saved it with ease. And, I mean, away it went. And then second kick, uh, Brazil missed. And Croatia didn't miss once. And just, what? that's what happens. I mean... You know, Neymar didn't even get to take a penalty. I was pretty shocked by that because, again, best player on the team, best penalty kick taker on the team. Anyways, just very, very questionable. Uh, and, you know, Chiche, the, the the manager for Brazil after the game, steps down and uh, defends Neymar for not taking the penalty. But, hey, I mean, at least all the chatter when England lost to Italy in the Euro finals was that, um, you know, that the players decide who takes the penalties. I mean, Harry Maguire 
took a penalty for Christ's sakes. I'm a Manchester United fan and I've never seen that. So, I mean, just very, very strange that Neymar didn't step up to the spot. Then the second game, uh, you know, this one was billed to be a very tight matchup, very much closer. And, uh, it ended up being, but not in the fashion that everyone thought. All right. So first half, I mean, who else? Lionel Messi with just an unbelievable pass to one of his teammates. Beautiful touch by the teammate. Beautiful finish. one nothing uh, Argentina in the 35th minute. Second half Cubs. Someone's fouled in the box. Messi steps up to take the penalty in the 72nd minute. Bang. And it's 2 nothing. Netherlands is dead in the water. Oh, wait, they're not. Because who better to sub on when you need a goal or two than Woot Weghorst. That's right, Woot Weghorst. Um, so he comes on and, you know, at this point, it's the 80th minute. Netherlands don't have a single shot on target. And what happens? Someone sends a ball into the box. Weghorst, the man who subbed on, heads one in. Bang, 2-1. Then... Netherlands is all systems go pressing every man forward 10 minutes of extra of injury time because just the refereeing in this game was frankly horrific a record 17 yellow cards were handed out in this game just horrific refing it got completely away there was a fight in the middle of the game um, that I think it was Lisandro uh, Paredes he, he you know two aggressive tackles then kicks a ball into the Netherlands dugout all hell breaks loose onto the on the field anyway so 10 minutes of added time and just at the end of added time final kick of the game someone on Netherlands is fouled just outside the box and this ladies and gentlemen was the ballsiest ballsiest no pun intended move i've ever seen pulled on a free kick that was that was the last kick of the game at that point which was you know a player steps up to uh to take the kick and instead of sending it on net because all he had to do was curl it around the argentinian wall they send it on the ground through the two through the gap of the two walls and voot veghorst is there to tap it in 2-2, 2-2, we're heading into extra time. Not really much happens. And then uh, Argentina, their their goaltender, Martinez, was just unbelievable. Two strong penalties. And this is what I'm talking about. You know, it was uh, Steven Berghaus was uh, the second penalty kicker, penalty kick taker. But the first one was the captain of the Netherlands. It was uh, Virgil van Dijk stepping up to the spot just after Messi scores. Beautiful penalty, fantastic penalty. Tried to power it into the corner, but just an unbelievable save by Martinez. And then uh, uh, the same thing for with Berghaus. You know, Argentina scores on their second one. Berghaus steps up, another great penalty, and just a way better save by Martinez. So Argentina move on four to three in the shootout. So what does that mean? It means in the first semifinal, it's Croatia against Argentina. I believe that one will be on Tuesday. Now, what's going to happen tomorrow? That's what I care about. So we'll start with the morning. Morocco versus Portugal. Morocco, frankly, a very nice story. They got by Spain and, you know, just only conceded one goal all tournament. Just unbelievable stuff. And that goal, of course, was to Canada. And it was an own goal. So just crazy, crazy good run by Morocco. But they are running into an absolute juggernaut in Portugal. Everyone is talking about Portugal's manager before that game against – or they – against uh, i forget who they played in the in the round anyways it doesn't really matter because they won six to one um so anyways they win six to one and uh gonzalo ramos just three three goals subbing in in the in the shoes of ronaldo who's on the bench everyone criticizing the manager before the game what's he doing what's he doing well turns out he made the right choice because uh they beat their opponent six to one and they they find themselves against morocco now i think uh frankly portugal is just way has way too much quality um than for Morocco to handle Morocco. I know they got by Spain, but Spain, what do you need in this tournament? You need a guy who could score goals. And frankly, Spain didn't have that, that, you know, Alvaro Morata had, I think three goals, all had three goals, all tournament. Good for him. That's uh, you know what he was one of the top goal scorers, but he couldn't do it when it mattered most because he's just not that guy that you look to, to score goals all the time for his clubs. He's never been that guy and he wasn't that guy for Spain anyway. So that's at 10 AM. Then this is really, it's a shame that this is a quarterfinal game because this game is just insane. I can't wait for it. England, my three lions taking on France at 2 PM. I mean, just 
I'm expecting goals. I don't know who's, I genuinely don't know who's going to come out on top. It's just, you know, Harry Kane can give uh, Upa Makano and Rafael Varane problems. And then, you know, what more needs to be said about Kylian Mbappe against, you know, going up against Kyle Walker. And then when he breaks through Kyle Walker, who's he have through the middle? He has to break by Harry Maguire or John Stones. Crazy. I, I'm I'm really nervous for this game. Uh, I think England could do it. I, I hope they could do it, and you know I'll be cheering for them. Um, they can do it. They have a very very talented team, but it all comes down to Gareth Southgate. I just have no faith in the guy. I think he's just going to play this game to not lose. He's going to play like how Croatia plays, play for extra time, and you know that's. It's just not a recipe for success against uh, France. One note on that game on the uh, on the England side uh, to note is that Raheem Sterling, who had to fly back to England to be with his family because they suffered a home invasion, uh, he's back with the team. No word yet if he's going to start or come off the bench, but he's always a very, very good bet for England to score if you want to throw a couple dollars on that. Anyway, so it is 11 p.m. on the nose. That's it for me. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, thanks for listening if you haven't already please subscribe to us on facebook youtube follow us on twitter you know you can listen to us on spotify if you're not listening live so anyways thanks for listening everyone have a great weekend that's it for me peace and that's a wrap hope you don't miss us too much until next time follow the sick podcast with tony marinero on youtube instagram facebook Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. 8.6. Intense by nature. And La Cage. If the last time you went to La Cage was when the Habs won the cup, it's time you went back to La Cage. The menu will surprise you. 